And that's what's so exciting because retailers are large retailers are looking at this and saying, hey, you know, this is makes sense. And when we said that we were going to work with Walmart, our our community was like, whoa, dude, what the hell are you doing? That's crazy. And we're no, well, this is really important because if we are going to change the world and stop the insanity that we're doing, we can't make people wrong. We have to make them strong and make them better. You are listening to The Real Leaders Podcast, your number one source for impact leaders harnessing capitalism to sustain the planet, people, and profits. That was the voice of Peter Van Stolk, the founder and CEO of both Spud and FoodX, who shares today why big brands are looking to his company to not only save money, but reduce their environmental impact. What is the circular economy? What is the future of food? And is impact a trade-off? Those questions answered on this episode of the Realtors Podcast. Enjoy. And we'll get going here. In 10, 9, 8, oh, here we go. 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, and 1. And welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards, and joining us today is the CEO of one of the largest online grocery stores in Canada, uh, as well as the CEO of, uh, of FoodX Technologies, Mr. Peter Van Stolk. Peter, thanks for being with us today. Thank you very much for having me, Kevin. So spud.ca, what does it stand for and how does this story go? Sure, spuds.ca stands for Sustainable Produce Urban Delivery. And Spud has been delivering groceries in Western Canada for about 20 years. So we've been doing this a long time. And what we focus on is sustainable ways with respect to the food systems that people eat. And our, our mission is to allow people to eat better food and sort of work with local small vendors and retailers to have local organic non-GMO products throughout the system. That's what we've been doing for 20 years. And FoodX is taking the technology that we've been using with Spud and enabling large retailers to go online with a focus of sustainability and profitability. Because we think that if you create an ecosystem where people are focused on what's right, when food is really an important part of all, all of our our daily lives. And so how we do that is we look at the food that people are eating, how it's grown, how it's delivered. And we created a system that allows retailers to look at small vendors, large, uh, large retailers, and uh, enable them to look at and deal with the, the inherent difficulties of online grocery. Okay. Well, that's, that's great, Peter. You know, food being such a difficult challenge. What fascinates me about food really is Anytime you go to a grocery store, you go to a restaurant chain, uh, you really don't appreciate how it gets there. Uh, How does uh, the sustainable produce urban delivery get from point A to point B? Yeah. So first of all, I'll just give you our history. Our history was a CSA. So we started it as back in the day when organic food wasn't prevalent in grocery stores. Farmers needed a system that they could actually get their produce to customers. So CSAs were community-supported agriculture. Mm. And so as a community-supported agriculture, we would work with local farmers, specifically organic farmers, and offer their produce to customers in, in many different forms. But it started with a CSA box. So you as a customer, you'd order your box, and every week we'd send you produce that was grown locally. And from that, it evolved into a groceries, 
So you, people then said, we really love your vegetables. Now can you sell us milk? And can you provide us with fish? Can you provide us with staples? And so from basically 200 SKUs of produce, we've grown into 30,000 SKUs of grocery items. So that's what Spot has done over the years. And in that process, we've looked at how the, the packaging impacts customers from recyclability. We've looked at the ingredients. We have a banned ingredient list. So we take it quite seriously that what the food that you're feeding your families and how you should look at that. And so we take, for example, on banned ingredient lists, we look at what the U.S. has banned. We look at what Canada has banned and we look at what the EU has banned. And unfortunately, they're not consistent among those three, three jurisdictions. So what we do is say if it's banned in the U.K. or banned in EU, that probably means that it's not good for you. And even though it's not banned in Canada, we actually then remove that from the system. So our team is constantly looking for products that we know meet the criteria that our customers want, which means that they want to be sure, trust that what we're providing them is good for their families. And they don't even have to think about it because we won't have it. So we don't sell high fructose corn syrup. We don't sell products with high fructose corn syrup. Um, and there's lots of reasons why we don't sell sodium benzoate. So there's just ingredients that we say, hey, these are not like we're not making judgment calls. We just said that that's not who our customer is. And customers appreciate the fact that we do all this work to determine what is very important for them and their families. Yeah, especially as a customer, anyone listening to this right now, if you're an educated consumer, you're thinking uh, non-GMO, you just mentioned, okay, is, it, is what I'm eating treated with pesticides? Is it bad for the environment? Is it Correct. fair trade? Is it a good quality product? So these are all things that a lot of educated consumers are, are thinking about before they make a decision. And they think that their purchase might be a vote toward um, a, a better world, a better food world. Uh, so, Peter, the, the question I have is organic foods. A lot of these fair trade products um, uh, coming directly from smallholder farmers might be a little bit more expensive. Whole Foods model, they have non-GMO foods as well as just your regular foods and they let the customer buy. Has, has a, an increase in cost affected your company and what are you seeing with Spud? Yeah, that's a great question. So we've chosen that, we, um, that we're not going to have conventional which in, in the Spud. We're selling organic, but we also sell local and local has uh, sort of a variety is that when you go to your local farmer's market and you're talking to the farmer who's grown that grown organically because there's a process to certify organic, but you feel comfortable with that farmer because you know where they live, you know the farm, and they've shared that too. We actually do the same thing. So we have organic produce that is certified organic. Then we have local that where the, the farmer is actually stating that he is or she is not growing that with pesticides and it meets the it meets the requirements, but it's not certified because some of these small farmers cannot afford to get certified organic because it's a very expensive process, but they're growing organic food. So we try and find that when we know where that, that farmer is, we walk the fields with them. We talk to them about their products. We understand it. And it's just like you going to a farmer's market where you're there standing at your store, you're standing at their stall and they're sharing to you why they do what they do. And that's how we operate. We think it's really important to create um, a food ecosystem that customers and people can appreciate that it's transparent. They understand what's going on and that the people trust the food that you're delivering to them. And that's how we operate. 
So let's take an example, maybe, Peter, help. Let's illustrate this for our audience. Uh, If I wanted to buy a bananas, like just a rack of bananas from you, how would it get from point A to point B? And would it be less or more expensive for me? Sure. So bananas are a great example. (laughs) And I'd love to tell you, if we want to change the world and be a great society, let's focus on bananas. So thank you for bringing up bananas because it's a passion of mine. First and foremost, bananas are the number one selling produce item in the world. And there's really two types of bananas. You have bananas that are conventionally grown or bananas that are bananas that are organically grown and fair trade. So we sell organic fair trade bananas. Now it's unique that a conventional banana is about 10 cents more uh, or less expensive than an organic uh, banana. But when you're buying a banana, it's the first time in produce that there's no nutritional difference between a banana that's conventional or a banana that's organic. What you're making your decision on is what's right for the farmer and the soil that's being grown. Because what you're seeing is that, yes, you can buy a conventional banana. That nutritional factor is exactly the same as a conventional, as an organic banana. The difference is that that 10 cents is going to where the farmer, how the farmer grows, the pesticides. And the scary thing is that on, on a, a farming perspective, bananas use the, the highest amount of um, pesticides and fungicides per one kilometer uh, growing than any other produce item. So if we start to think of this as how we are going to change the world, we have to realize that having a safe planet is just as important as having good produce. So if you think about bananas, they grow in uh, tropical air. Where do all those pesticides, fungicides, and all those chemicals roll off? They roll off onto the people that grow it and the soil and the oceans, and they, they pollute around it. So I'm a big proponent that says, yes, you vote with your dollar. If you want to choose a conventional banana, you're making that decision. But if you choose an organic banana, you're choosing a system that is better for your children, not because of the nutritional factors, but you're choosing a banana or a produce item that's better because there's no fungicides or pesticides going in the ocean. And the people that are growing those things are not getting sick for the food that you're eating. And that's a unique conversation that we have with our customers about the difference in cost. So yes, it's 10 cents more per banana, but is that 10 cents worth it when you really think about it? And can you get excited about changing the world on a banana? I'm the firm believer that if we all said we're not going to buy conventional bananas, we would actually change the planet. Well, let's stick with the bananas and let's go bananas here today. Uh, I love this company and I I know the CMO, uh, Nick Ingersoll, Barnana. And what they do is they upcycle bananas. So for our audience out there, they take all the ugly bananas that are going to get thrown away and they turn them into healthy, delicious bite-sized snacks they sell. Sure. Upcycling is a part of the circular economy. And, totally. and this is a, a similar uh, trait and feature to what Spud is doing as well. Would you maybe help our audience understand how or what Spud's role is in the circular economy and how this kind of works? Sure. Well, let's just talk about um, let's talk about food waste for one second. So yeah. food waste is if we looked at food waste holistically, it would be the number third country in the world for greenhouse gas emissions. If you look at um, Project Drawdown, and you think about what we can do as a society, do some top 100 things that we can do to change the planet, you'd find that food is listed in the eight of the top 20. 
And food waste, is, if I'm not mistaken, is number three or four, but it's in the top five. So food waste is incredibly important. So when you're talking about upcycling something, we're talking about understanding we grow food and throw it away, which is a system that is whacked and that is completely wrong. So from our system, first of all, we want as a retailer, we know that traditional retailers have about 6% shrink or food waste. At Spud, we have half a percent. So that's an incredible difference from anyone else. And then it starts with how we order. We don't have displays of bananas where you can go into a store and touch every banana, pick the ones you want. And a thing about produce, and I'm just focusing on produce now, but every time somebody touches a leafy green or a banana or something, it actually deteriorates the banana and it makes food waste happen even faster. And that's, you know, think about the number of people who touch the tomatoes that you're about to buy from a grocery store. There are thousands of people who touch those tomatoes and that's, and they build these beautiful displays. And then what happens is those displays have to be taken down and there's a portion of that display that has to be thrown away. So what we've sort of said is that we look at this system from the time that you order your product to the time you get it to your door. And we try and eliminate things that can actually cause the produce to go bad, thus causing it to be thrown away or causing problems with it. We then look at and when it is going off, how can we upcycle, repurpose it? So we then use it for banana bread because oh, it's a, you know an old banana made into a phenomenal banana bread is a phenomenal product. So we look at everything that we do from the system of how can we first eliminate it in the first place because it's you, you just don't you want to stop. And then when there is waste, how can you repurpose that waste into a better product? Or in and it's sort of upcycling like the gentleman or the company you mentioned. Those are what we do. And so we take it from holistically coming into the system so we don't over order, which is if you eliminate your over order, you're eliminating the waste. You then have a system where you're not damaging the products within your sales cycle. So we eliminate the damaging of the product. We then we don't have inventory, over inventory of it with respect to displays. So we're ensuring that we're having the right product for the customer at the right time without causing excessive waste. And that's what we think we should retailers need to start to think about is because we cannot afford to have these products. You know, it's $400 billion of food is thrown away before it even gets to the stores. That's like, that's the number. It's insane. It is insane. insane. It is insane. I mean, I, th- I think the style is like we produce enough food to feed everyone on the planet. We just don't distribute it properly. Right. So it's, exactly. it's, it's interesting to think about. And, you know, something like this for our listeners out there could be applied to almost any industry. I mean, look at clothing, yeah. look at clothing and fashion. Uh, the totally. thing for me is, is difficult is, you know, you have all these, um, you know, say recycled materials or recycled plastics that are uh, originally were once were make to waste and then now are right. collected and recycled. But if I have a pair of shoes and I grow out of them and, I, and I'm a kid and I'm not a part of the shared economy, I'm probably going to throw those away or uh, unless I donate in the goodwill or they, they right. tear apart, say they tear apart, even that, that go, then that goes back to the landfill. So ultimately my hopes of recycling and being a conscious consumer will go back to that, you know, to the landfill or something like that and not be decomposed and be uh, harmful for the environment and have a lot of uh, CO2 emissions because of the transportation that's involved in that way. Now, transportation is what I want to move on to next. How are you looking and measuring at your uh, carbon emissions and what are the, what are the extra steps uh, that SPUD is taking to decrease their, their, uh, their impact on the environment? 
Sure. First of all, it's transparency. So if you are ordering Spud today, we tell you the food miles, how far that product has traveled. Now, we bananas, again, I don't want to go back to bananas, but there's a number one selling produce item and we don't grow them in Canada, nor do you grow them in the United States. Or unfortunately, yeah, in Puerto Rico, there's some markets that do grow bananas, but in mainland United States, we don't. So first of all, you need to know how far that bananas travel because that's your carbon footprint. So every product that we sell has a food mile attached to it. We track. And so you as a consumer know how far that product has traveled. So you can make a decision based on, do you want, and you can shop with you. If you say, I want to shop within X amount of food miles, meaning my total food mile for my order is this. We give you the option to do that. So we present products that have traveled fewer, all these different things, but it's about information. And providing the consumer with the right information is critical at the time. So that's where first step is what we do is we provide the information for you to make the decision. And the second thing that we do is with through food mouth is that we have a circular um, system where our trucks go out full delivering groceries and they come back and any truck will do this. It will come back empty. We use that backhaul to service our local vendors so that we know that trucks go out full how can we use that backhaul, which then is reducing the carbon footprint because the trucks are not delivering to us empty. We're using a truck that's already in the field, is coming back, picking up produce, bringing it back to our facility, going out in a circular setting. We also use the reverse logistic to take back uh, plastics that cannot be recycled in our traditional municipal landfills. So we have a take back program where we our customers then can put back items into their bins and we will properly recycle them. So where we go, where we are going as a, as a retailer, we want to be accountable for the products that we sell and the packaging that we sell inclusive. So if you think about it right now, groceries to your, when you buy a product right now, Kevin, you're looking at the nutritional facts panel. So you know what the nutrition is. You're looking at the ingredients, but are you truly understanding what the packaging is? So what we've started is that we have three fact panels. One is your ingredients. So you don't want products with certain ingredients because you, from your diet perspective, two, you want to understand the nutritional fact panel. But third, what we've done is, is this product recyclable in your community? So we service five communities that have different municipal recycling requirements because of, they are all different. So some products can go in the landfill, some can't, some go in recycling. We identify by the community where you live. So if you lived in Chilliwack, which is in a community in outside um, Vancouver here, or if you lived in Pemberton or Whistler or Edmonton or Calgary or Victoria, there are different zones that have different community recycling programs. Each of the products that we sell is identified within the community that you live in so that you know that if you bought this product, that you can put it back and it is recycled. If it's not, then we will take it back and recycle it for you properly. That's how we think. We take the the conversation, put the information first and foremost to you. And we educate people that says it's not just about the ingredients anymore. It's not just about the nutritional facts. It's also about the packaging. So today we're our team. We have, as you know, we're B Corp and we're very proud of what we do. We have a sustainability team that's looking at egg cartons. So how can we sell reusable egg cartons? So that's those, we have, there is a meeting going on today and you maybe see people walking back and forth. They're coming from a meeting that's discussing egg carton. That is so, so kind of cool. And we have a reusable uh, kind of whole thing about how do we use, reu- um, reuse and recycle certain things. 
I'm a big proponent that, and I like what some of the, the other brands are doing is they're starting to promote um, for non-virgin plastic because until we legislate that retailers or that brand holders have to use recycled plastic, it's still cheaper for them to use virgin plastic. So the system is continuously broken because we're focusing on recycling, but nobody wants to use the, the materials that we're recycling because it may have an off color or it may not be. So it's still cheaper to use virgin plastics. And we're a big proponent of saying, hey, you're going to be using some packaging. That's a reality of 2020. And it's probably going to be a reality of 2022. Reduce as much packaging as you can. And if you're going to use packaging, then for, force the brand owners to use recycled plastic in their production because the greater the amount of recycled plastic is, the more you're taking out of landfill. So that's how we look at it. Yeah, Peter, there's a there's been a lot of uh, leadership changes amongst big corporations, the SC Johnsons, the Unilevers saying we're going to be using uh, recycled plastic now and we're going to insert a tax or uh, like some type of premium on on virgin plastics. And just for our audience really quick, we've been throwing around some big words. Uh, drawdown, drawdown to me, is that just drawing down the carbon emissions to like regenerative soils? Project right? Drawdown, yeah. So projectdrawdown.org is an organization that is from um, collective minds of scientists around the world that have said, okay, we're not on this bus to abyss. We as, as consumers, we as individuals, we as citizens of this community, we have things that we can do to change that. So they've listed the 10 things that we can do or the hundred things that we can do. That's the impact on carbon emissions. And so like number three or four, as I said, about good ways, but number four is educating women. And it's, these are so many cool things that I, and I'm a big fan of project drawdown because it's a scientific matter. And I, I'm finding it very difficult when we debate science because it's hard to debate science. Um, if we are just saying this is scientific, that we are heating, the world is getting hotter, we have to address those issues. What are some of the things we can do to stop that, that rise in temperature? And that's what I really like about it because it talks about it in a non, there's no blame. There's not, we're not blaming, we're not making someone wrong. We're not making someone, you know, this is, it's just reality. And so that's what I really like about it. So our team works off that document. And I would recommend your listeners to go to projectdrawdown.org. And it it, it feels empowering because right now, sometimes we feel that we are on this bus to abyss. Right. And we have no control over anything. And, you know, you talked about your uh, upcycling your your shoes and you talked about clothes. And those are things that there are things that we can do. And some Patagonia is doing some really cool things. Uh, I like what they're doing on their take back uh, uh, recycled clothes. I see that as the consumers are really excited about that. And there was a recent report that I published on my LinkedIn file that said that Nestle's, and I just have it right here, is that Nestle just did a, um, I'm sorry, Nielsen.com just came out um, that said 73% 73 of consumers would change behavior to reduce the impact on the planet. Mm. That's very, very powerful for everyone who's in the business of providing goods to consumers. Consumers want products that have a low impact on the planet. They want to feel like they're part of the solution. So one of our trade lines is be part of the solution. So if you shop at Spud, we're saying you're being part of a solution to a bigger problem. 
And with respect to the cost that you brought up, yes, it is more expensive to eat organic. And let's just quickly answer the question why. Because you're not spraying chemicals with a machine. You're actually someone's going through the field and weeding it. So there are products that you know, the Dirty Dozen and the Clean 15. So we, we recommend people look at the Dirty Dozen. We recommend that people look at the Clean 15. And we're saying these are just common sense things that you can do. And so obviously, uh, we, we promote to children and to, uh, because a lot of our customers are moms and they, they're, they're concerned about the food they put or give to their children. So from our side of it, we think it's really important that they have the knowledge and the information. So first and foremost, it's about providing transparency, knowledge, and being accountable. And then people can make the right decisions. Um, that's where we see it happening. And, you know, we're, we're very, very committed to providing the information to our consumers to make the decisions that is best for their families. Well, well thanks for breaking that down for us. I, I just, we just, we, you and I both think it's really important for our audience and then people listening. It's just to understand these, these terminology, these terminology, because sure. You know, starting out and doing these podcasts, it was kind of confusing and I, and throughout, uh, you know, doing hundreds and hundreds of these now it's, it's, it makes sense. But to people listening for the first time, I get a lot of feedback saying, Hey, can you break down some different terms for us? Sure. Just so they make sense. No. So really quick. And then we'll go on to, I want to continue with packaging in uh, the infrastructure shared economy. I threw that out there. Shared economy to me, just think like Airbnb, uh, or, uh, a, a car sharing service or sharing utensils or hardware, just not buying new products uh, when you can actually just use them for like a one-time use. Uh, we talked about single use and non-virgin plastic. Uh, single use to me, and I was thinking about the circular economy people, you make a product and then you waste it. That's a linear economy. The circular economy, you can make it to be made again or to decompose. So that's like kind of Correct. how it breaks those down. But for packaging, very important issue. And a lot of listeners are listening to say, well, Peter, what if I want some ice cream? How do, you, how do you get that to me? Is there something that you do? Um, do you freeze it? Do you put it in the freezer bag? Uh, how does that packaging change for a product that needs to be frozen? Sure. So you as a consumer have to decide on what the packaging that you works, works well with you in your, in your ecosystem. And I think the municipal recycling is in yours where you live is your ecosystem. So you first have to know what they can accept. And you, that's the first piece. And when we talk to customers, they don't know that you can, they can do what they can do with these things. So again, it starts back with real clear information. You live in this community B, this is the infrastructure they have for plastics. This is the infrastructure they have for compostables. This is the, this is it. This is how their, their system. So first know what you have within your ecosystem or your community. That's a, a very important belief to me personally, because if you don't know that, then you could be making mistakes that this, they've already spent money to build these recycling things and we're not using them properly. Mm. So that's crazy, man. That makes me crazy. Cause like, let's just know this stuff. Let's know what we're doing and play properly. And so from our perspective is that if we can give you that information at a click of a button that your order your product, your ice cream, you choose this one, it's in plastic and it can go in your facilities or your municipal recycling, or you choose this one and it's glass and it's recycled. Is glass better than plastic? We have a whole system on that. We tell you what they work, how, you know, the difference. And there's not a perfect system. And I think that that's what we're, we're trying to, to, 
to, to say in, in 2020, we've created a, um, a food system that it's not perfect. So let's not try and be perfect, but let's try and make the biggest changes that we can make to have the biggest impact that we can have. So, the, and from our perspective, that starts with knowledge. And again, I, I mean, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but we believe that people will make the right decisions when they have the right information, if they care about what the other, if they care about them more about the planet more than their that ten cent on the banana. And that's why bananas come back to is it's really important because you're making a decision. That decision is your decision. Do you want to spend ten cents more for an organic banana? And, and know that you're not putting any pesticides, fungicides, and, and causing the families of those workers to be put in harm? Or do you want to spend 10 cents and get a cheaper banana? That's your choice. Mm. And we hope that people are making those choices that spend that 10 cent more better. And according to Nielsen's, they would change their behavior. So now if people are growing more organic fair trade bananas, obviously the cost of organic fair trade bananas will come down and that 10 cents will be five cents, but you're not sending all those chemicals into the ocean that are killing the fish that are, you know, and killing the people. It's, it's just mind numbing that to me that we have to look at it this way. Yeah, Peter, it's, uh, I think you, you hit on an interesting point that I didn't think you were going to say, and you said it's, it's imperfect right now. Our system is imperfect. And what I, what I think of that is as I don't know where I stand right now on plastic and plastic recycling because the infrastructure is not as robust as it needs to be right now in the United States. And the reason I say that is because uh, if I recycle something and it's, it's plastic, it's going to take a certain amount of years to biodegrade in landfills. Uh, If I use it for a recycler now, it's going to be, you know, it's going to have a lot of costs. And if you compare that to something like paper, like if you get a paper bag at a store, I didn't know this until a couple of weeks ago, but I heard now, correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm quoting somebody that we had in the podcast earlier who was also a Real Leaders Impact Award winner. She was saying paper, uh, take, I think it takes a lot more water to create and use. Therefore, in theory, it's, it's more environmentally damaging than plastic for bags. So I didn't know that. It's interesting to think about um, so for, for, uh, for, uh, for Spud, what are some of the, the things that we all have to be, you know, I guess maybe humility is the word humble is the word about in terms of our, um, our products and where we place them. Yeah. So again, I think Kevin, you said it really, we don't have a perfect solution, but let's, let's, let's start with that. So let's not make anyone wrong and let's get better at what we're doing. And you're completely correct on recycling. You know, in the United States, um, recycling, you know, China stopped accepting 100 containers a day from the United States with garbage. They stopped it. The Philippines have stopped it. So we've been shipping our garbage to um, to other countries for them to deal with because we can't fill it. And I don't know if you just saw the announcement that China is now banning single-use plastic. And they are filled so they created a system in China where they have a hundred football fields that in, in size to deal with uh, waste. And that was going to be designed to last 25 years. It's filled today. Now I find that really exciting because you have an, a nation now good, bad, or indifferent, but they're making, they're seeing that we have to change. And, and when these legislations occur, that says, okay, we have to change this. 
You're seeing that in the EU. We're doing a lot of work in the EU right now, and we're seeing retailers are hearing that legislation is coming. They have to change it. Spud, we ban plastic bottles. We do not sell still water in plastic bottles. We do not sell it. And we're just saying that we're making that commitment to it. And we did an, an analysis, is aluminum cans better? Is plastic? Yeah. But, you know, the reality is that we live in Vancouver, Canada, and Vancouver has really good water. So bottled water is just a convenience. So now we're buying bottled water as a convenience, not because we have a water issue, mm. is because we have a convenient issue. And so we're putting more garbage in the planet because we want to be convenient. And so... The convenience that we have is something that we have to address. So at Spud, we just said, you know, our decision at Spud is that we don't use plastic bags. So we're the only retailer that doesn't deliver in plastic bags in e-commerce. It's not an option. You don't have to push a button. You just don't get them. There's not up. It's not up to chewing. We don't. It's not. No. There's no debate. If you want to shop from us, we're not going to deliver to you in plastic bag. Period. And we're able to work with our partners. In this case, we work with um, delivering groceries. For under under the FoodEx for our partner here in Vancouver, Walmart, which is the world's largest re- retailer. And we've said, you can't deliver if you're going to use our service in plastic bags. And they don't. And that's what's so exciting because retailers are, large retailers are looking at this and saying, hey, you know, this is, makes sense. And when we said that we were going to work with Walmart, our, our community was like, whoa, dude, what the hell are you doing? That's crazy. And we're, no, well, this is really important because if we are going to change the world and stop the insanity that we're doing, we can't make people wrong. We have to make them strong and make them better. And it's not about saying that Walmart's good or bad. It's how do we improve what Walmart's doing to make it better for the planet? Mm. Now, Spud is a very small company, tiny, tiny, tiny on a scale of thing. And Walmart is the largest retailer in the world. So if we are going to, in fact, change in the world, we need to be able to communicate to companies such as Walmart, such as, you know, some of these companies that you listed Unilever, you said you, you list uh, all these other and make them start to see the importance of making change, because that's when you're going to have this, the mass change that's going to have an impact on a global basis. And I think that's one of the things that I'm really excited about is that we've been able to communicate to people in a way that's effective. It's it's purposeful. It's exciting, but it's not making them wrong. Now, you know, and I think one of the things that I, I, I believe in is that food is should not be treated as a luxury tax, you know, just because our consumers may have more means to buy organic because it's more expensive. We shouldn't make people who have less means to that. We should make good food accessible to people with less, with less means instead of saying it's all about the price. So we have to serve, serve work in that system. So that's why it's so exciting about FoodX, and that's our vision of FoodX, is that we want to ena- enable large retailers to make better decisions with respect to delivery of food and how to deliver food in a more economical and more sustainable way than they've ever done before. And that's our, what we get excited about every morning. So it is a big, big goal, and it is a scary goal. And, you know, it's... Um, but it's if we if we don't do it, who's going to do it? You know, I have a I have a 26 year old daughter who who you know I want to be I want to go to my grave saying I you know what I tried, you know I made something I I made a difference I didn't you know we were we came into a society or into a, a time in this world where 
we were, it was very abundant. Now we have to be use technology, innovation for sustainability. And that's what we we're all about at FoodX. And we've taken our sort of our hyper local kind of uh, very militant opinions on sustainability. And we've moved them into a, a platform that enables retailers. Like today, I was just with a retailer that has, uh, you know, uh, probably 8 billion in revenues. And we are talking sustainability. How cool is that? Like that, that is so cool. How can they take some of this, the shit that works for them? And they're open to those ideas. That is really, really cool. And, you know, that's what we've been able to do as a company where we're not trying to make someone wrong and we're not making yelling and screaming, screaming, calling them names. We're saying this is a real problem. Let's move past this craziness of making something black and white because it's not. It is gray. It is not perfect. But, you know, it's it's got to be better. And that's what we're seeing. And um, I'm really excited about the future because I think it's it's creating an opportunity for people to get really good at stuff. And so from Spud, we are like this little incubator that's testing this crazy stuff. And then if it works, we can then show it to big retailers and see if they want to use it. And the reason why they would want to use it, because let's just talk about food waste, Kevin, for one second. Food waste is the one thing that we should do as a society because every retailer should be on this boat or on this bandwagon so fast because it's costing them money. So if a retailer is spending 6% of their retail sales in throwing away profitable goods, that's not good business. So let's make this not about this or that. Let's make this about good business. So if they can cut their shrink or their food waste from 6% to half a percent, that's more profits. And we live in a capitalist society where profits are good. So let's make saving the environment profitable. Let's make it say that, how can we do it and not make it say, well, we're going to put windmills up there and it's going to cost all this and everybody. No, we're putting windmills up there because it is profitable and it's better. And, and that's how we want to talk within the food ecosystem. It, it's interesting, you know, Peter, it's, it's, it's such a, a existential problem. And let, you know, let's just, let's take, for example, let's, let's say it's 2050 and we all haven't been wiped out by a meteor or a, a pandemic. And, you know, I don't know what's going on right now in China, but hey, yeah, you know, exactly. let's, say, let's say we're not wiped out yet. And the population doubles, which means the food supply is supposed to double to fit like, you know, it's supposed to increase 50 to 70 percent. Like that's what it needs to get up to. Uh, we heard from a, a, a general of the U.S. military. Biggest threat is in our enemies. It's food scarcity. Right. So these these big these big questions are out there. Now you said no, we don't have. It's not a right or wrong thing. It's a it's an empowerment thing. It's an education thing. Do you believe these big brands, these companies like Walmart, are coming to you because they're taking market share, or do you think they're coming to you because they're seeing these big problems, they are realizing them, and they're saying, "Oh shit, these guys know how to solve it. Let's go to them and talk to them." I think it's a combination of everything, right? So I, I think, as I said, so we you look at food waste right so there's 400 billion dollars of food wasted before it even gets to the store so how efficient do we is that system right just that's just be, that's yeah. like there's food waste three there's three functions of food waste one pre at production to grocery two at grocery and three in consumers so you can't solve the problem without looking at the three channels of food so we waste food producing it 
we waste food selling it and we waste food consuming it. That's, that's it. So, and if we talk about food waste and in general, in a general uh, sort of area, food waste would be the third largest country behind the United States and China for greenhouse gas emissions. So here you have common sense and I'm not that smart, but let's just common sense. You have an inefficient system that we built over the years that is creating, causing us to have more greenhouse gases than required and also causing retailers, consumers, and producers to pay more for the food that we grow. And now we have a challenge that we won't have enough food to grow in the future. So let's take this and and reconnect and rechange the way we're thinking and turn it on its head and say, okay, we have three separate problems. Now, does SPUD, in our mind, do we solve the first problem? No, but we identified it. We can help food retailers and small locals, farmers with their excess product. Do we do that? Yes. But how, so now we show that, how that works to the large players. Second, do we help the, the, the food, the food waste issue at the sale point when products, produce or grocery items are sold? Yes. Why do we do that? We have technology that does it. And now we have to talk about the consumer. So the consumer now has to be responsible for their food waste and how they, but all those threes are entwined and it's all a really good conversation and it's a conversation that people can understand. Yeah. And it's just, it's just saying right now is that it's the food waste that we're, we're doing is, is basically causing the issues that we're having. So I'm just going to go back and say the three things that I would really look at is what are we responsible for? Well, we picked this, this side and what do we want to do is we want to educate consumers on how they can save money. Both of those things, save the consumer money and save recharge and they're better for the environment. So when we say that our mission is to use innovation and technology to pro- provide an eco food system that is sustainable and profitable, we think that's a, a mandate that people can get behind because profitability is about reducing costs, providing healthier food to consumers who can afford it or who can, who want it, but also making healthier food uh, available for people who have less means than others. And that's really what we want to do. Uh, Peter, what are in terms of like government policy that can really help out these economies? I mean, let's, let's take a look at this really quick. You mentioned that you mentioned China, they were taking sure. the trash. And I just want to get this right. From what I've read, China was taking not trash, but they're taking recycled products. Correct. Because they Correct. I call it trash because you were just throwing it in the garbage. Right. And, yeah. and so, you know, China, you know, not in terms of GDP, I think they're like, you know, 17 or 18 years ago. And then they started taking these recycled products to fit their manufacturing needs. I'm not going to claim that China is a, or India is like a great, uh, you know, uh, role model for carbon emissions. But it's they're not. doing but they're no. doing they're doing great jobs in terms of I didn't even know about the single use plastic ban that they're, that they're doing. But they're they're different. Uh, they're different countries. You look at Europe, you look at China. I mean, those can have really effective solutions, government solutions because of how they operate and work and like where it's government funded, state funded versus uh, America, the capitalist. You're making a company in your bank or Canada uh, free free markets, things like this. Uh, so in terms of, so let's just to take Canada and the United States, for example, what, are there any government policies or changes or recommendations that you have seen or thought of that you think could actually be an effective solution for market driven solutions? Well, you know, I, I can't really speak to the U S market right now. So I, I, I'm going to not talk 
But, sure, yeah. but in in Canada, um, the the current Liberal government last year in June of 2019 announced that they are going to by 2021 they are going to make retailers accountable for the products they sell the pack with including the packaging. Um, if you look at in the Europe, that's big. Um, their their European governments are are forcing legislation, um, and unfortunately, that's where we have to use the government. What it's designed to do, it's designed to make the hard decisions that are better for the groups and by meaning the groups, the community or the the civil, uh, the citizens of that country. So a government's decision is, in my opinion, does have to make some tough choices. That's what a government does. And it has to look at the, the information, the data, the science and says, we are going to cost us more in healthcare. It's going to cost us more in environmental disasters is going to cost us more in all these things. So we are making a decision that may not be perfect, but this decision, and we're seeing those decisions being made in the EU um, and in Canada. We're also seeing those decisions made as effectively as this week in China. So it's, those are the tough decisions. So I think one of the things that we talk about a fair market economy and we talk about capitalist society, but we're also talking about you know, governments and governments are saying, you know, they put a speed limit on when you drive. That is regulated by the government. You cannot drive as fast as you want through a school zone because it's unsafe. And no one complains about that. So there are going to make some decisions that are that they have to make with respect to how we do business. And unfortunately, that's not going to be great for companies that are, do, have, are want to do business the same way they were doing because that the way they were doing business isn't the way they should do business in the, fu- in the future. And we have to address that. And I think one of the things that um, is just common sense is that's the role of government to put in policies that are uh, designed to better the total civil- our, our total communities, not just better certain individuals. I see that happening in certain markets. And I think you're going to see Australia come really, really hard on stuff right now because they've, they've taken it a really hard approach over the, with the fires and they're going to make some really tough decisions. So you're seeing China, you're going to see Australia, you're seeing the EU, um, you're seeing com- countries make tough decisions that need to be made. So the question be part of the solution. Yeah, that's a trade. I want to that, be yeah, we want to be part of the solution, not not just complain about it and not be part of the problem. So if your listeners are just listening and say, hey, you know, that's a really that's a really nice statement. I want to be part of the solution. I just want to be, you know what? I just want to be part of a solution versus because we all have choices, right? We choose, you know, and we all can cho- choose and vote with our dollars. And it's unfortunately that not everybody, and I totally get that not everyone has the social economic means to vote with their dollars that we do. So we have to address that. And it's not making them wrong. It's, but the goal is to make them strong. And um, I really believe that we need to be part of the solution right now and put our, our, and I'll say this, our political biases aside and play for a bigger group. And one of the things that I think is really important is that we are, we are one people and it doesn't matter what, you know, the United States does. If China rots the planet, the United States is going to get impacted. If the United States rots the planet, China is going to get impacted. 
We live in a global community, and that hasn't sunk into a lot of consumers that we are we are all enjoying this one beautiful place we call Earth, and we don't have these boundaries of United States, Canada, because we house breathing the same air. So if we are going to cut down the rainforest in, you know, and those are the lungs, then that will impact someone in Alabama. That is a reality and it's not up to debate. It's not fake news. It's just a freaking reality. So let's address that and say, what can we do to be part of the solution? Well, if you look at kelp, kelp, we can grow kelp, which can create, we can create lungs because we have this amazing opportunity to grow kelp that can provide the same sort of lungs that, as the rainforest. But that is a new solution to a problem that we've got. So we are smart enough as a, as a people to solve the problem. We're just not smart enough to get out of our own way to stop blaming other people for doing it and playing by old stupid rules, in my opinion. That's my opinion. Sorry. Pete, for our, audience, for our audience listening to this, they're saying, man, this guy really gets it. You know, he's really enthusiastic about what he does. Seems like he, he actually feels like he's contributing to that solution. Why do you do what you do? Well, you know, um, my background is I, I started a soda company. And I when I realized that I, I didn't want to sell sugar water, I left that company. And I realized that, you know, here's you're looking at someone who started a company that was realized that, sugar water and i'm proud of what i've accomplished selling starting that company and i'm also proud that i was the first and see only ceo that said you should drink only one of my sodas a week because it's a treat and it's a treat and you shouldn't drink them every day and it's saying that my daughter had a, was allowed to have one soda a week and that was it that's where i think it's moderation it's we are of a choice and so when i when i was working with the soda company i realized that that I have to be better. And, um, so after that, I looked, uh, I looked at the companies and spud was organic, Spud was sustainable, spud touched all the values that really mean something to me. And it allowed me to, to, to understand and take my knowledge of the food system that I worked with and provide a, hopefully a better solution for other people. And also understand that, um, we, we live in a, like, you know, Canada is 200, I'll talk in miles. Canada's, most cities in Canada are within 100 miles of the U.S. border. So do we not think that the air is going to cross from one country to the next? Like, right. do we not think the water, that, the fish that we swim, like, it, the fish don't really have a border. But there's, you know, Canadian fish, American fish, they're all going to be impacted. We all are buying food for bananas from poor countries in the world. And so this is crazy, Bill, that we, we, we think that we're in these surrounding the world. So that's what I sort of thought. Sorry about that at all. But that's what I, I believe. That's a good point. Yeah, I'm pretty jealous of fish that don't need a passport and that yeah. go, you know, country to country nowadays. I hate those guys. Yeah. Uh, but Peter, uh, you, you mentioned choices. We can all make a choice. Our choices impact uh, everything. So uh, choices and decisions, you mentioned uh, organizations and politicians have to make tough decisions. It's a trait of leadership. So Peter, the last question I have for you today is, what is your definition of a real leader? I think you answered it. You know, unfortunately, um, a real leader listens to the facts. Um, and first of all, they're smart enough to listen to people from other perspectives. So a real leader has the ability to listen and 
and listen to other people because there's so many different perspectives. And then you acknowledge their perspective, but you don't have to agree with it. That's the one thing that I think a real leader does. He has to acknowledge or he or she has to acknowledge. Doesn't have to agree. They have to acknowledge because they have to make the person feel like they're being heard. Then they have to weigh that information within the community and the company or their, their, whatever this, their, their sort of fear of influence is. And they have to make a decision that's best for the community at whole. And they have to then be able to justify and clearly explain why they're not going to make everyone happy. Unfortunately, you're not in life. You can't make everyone happy. But what you can do is you can listen to everyone, acknowledge what they're saying, and explain why. Now, if we all understand that we're playing on the same football team, and I, and I, I use sports analogy very easily because people get it. You're playing on one team. As soon as we've got to get back to playing on one team. This is, and as soon as you play on one team, you explain what the objectives of the team is, you explain what the rules of the game are, and you explain where we're going. And a leader has to effectively explain the rules, the objectives, and the goals. And they have to do that by effectively listening to the people on the team. So that's what I think a real leader does. And they make tough decisions based on acknowledgement and support and so it's not making you wrong and yelling and screaming and, and making calling people names that's not leadership that is the furthest thing from leadership what leadership is is acknowledging and making the decisions that work for this community that you support Oof, man what a show today peter i'm glad uh, we were able to make this work out today uh with the with the trouble we were having earlier on on the show and the, the screen gosh we talked about a lot today uh talked about bananas organic yeah transportation to the packaging to shared economy circular economy single use china uh we talked about uh market share and and social pressure infrastructure uh and lastly peter why you do what you do uh so for for peter van stolk uh, i'm kevin Edwards asking you to go out there play on one team people make tough decisions and always folks keep it real thanks peter thank you so much for the opportunity All right, everyone. And if you enjoyed this episode and want to hear from more leaders, well, we've got plenty of them in our magazine, The Real Leaders Magazine. And I am giving you all 25% off today. All you have to do is go to real-leaders.com slash subscribe and enter in code podcast25. It's going to bring the price down to $54 and you can start receiving our quarterly magazine every three months. Again, folks, that's podcast 25, all lowercase podcast 25, 25% off. All right. Enjoy. Enjoy.